Hello, and welcome to This is Modern Rock, the podcast that takes a look at the modern rock charts one month at a time. I'm your host, Will Westerkow, and you are listening to December 1991. Today, I'm being joined by my special guest, Brooke Twist. Hello, Brooke. Hi. How's it going? Pretty decent. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Brooke, you're in a band called Mew Mew. Yeah, we are a three-piece band. We're still actually looking for a bass player. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're a modern rock band in Portland, Oregon. This is like a quarantine project, right? Yeah, the recording on our band camp has, was all done remotely during quarantine. Nice. Uh, I saw all, all proceeds were going to the ACLU. Is that still a thing? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right on. But how'd you get into music? How about that? I mean, I've always been into music. I would say my first love was probably like Michael Jackson and the Beach Boys when I was little and graduated Nirvana kind of shined a light on, hey, you can play music too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They opened the door. I'm really glad that you mentioned Michael Jackson because the number one song in America on the Hot 100 charts in December of 1991 was Michael Jackson's Black or White. Sweet. To do a little research, I, I just went back and rewatched that music video. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. We're finally getting to a point in time where my parents were relaxing their grip a little bit and I was able to actually participate in pop culture. So I remember seeing the Black or White video. This was like a big deal. And I remember everyone being really impressed with the morphine technology where people's faces were changing from one face to the next. Yeah, totally. Didn't it start with like Macaulay Culkin in the living room? Oh, yeah. Macaulay Culkin and his dad, George Went from Cheers, Norm. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Norm comes in and he's like yelling at, at Macaulay Culkin for being too loud. And so Macaulay Culkin, he goes downstairs, he sets up these huge speakers, pulls out an electric guitar, and he just like blasts his music so loud, the windows shatter. His dad in his lazy boy flies through the roof, <laughs> lands in like an African savanna. It's just utterly bizarre. And then at the very end, it like pulls out of the Simpsons television and Bart is wearing a Michael Jackson shirt and like Homer's yelling at him about something. It's, it's just nuts. It's like 11 minutes of, of, of that. Like, wow. Like, so what's not to love about that? I, I, yeah, so exactly. Great. I'll have to check it out. It's been a while. So yeah, that was pop music. Michael Jackson, he's ruling mm-hmm. it. But also I was looking at the number one movies of the time and I saw all three movies that were number one in the month of December which was the Adams Family movie. Yes, yeah, I remember that one. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And then Hook. Oh, yeah. With, yeah, mm-hmm. Robin Williams and um, Dustin Hoffman, I think. Was it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm finally starting to feel 1991. Before, much before this, it was just like vague memories here and there. Like, oh, yes, I remember hearing Kokomo. But like most of the stuff, mm-hmm. I, I just missed out completely on the music of the time. Like I didn't, I wasn't really part of it. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Still listening to Kokomo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> of course, of course. We know what's going on in the pop world, the movie world. Let's get into the modern rock world. Why don't we? Yeah. November, of course, was a huge month. And 
it didn't really leave a lot left over for <laughs> December, right? Like U2's Mysterious Ways, it was nine weeks at number one overall. So it's still number one in December. Smells Like Teen Spirit is number two for all of December. Primal Screams, moving on up, is number three for all of December. So we have to go all the way down to number four to hear a new song. And that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so we're going to listen to a band called The Shaman. This is a band from Aberdeen, Scotland, formed in 1985. They were initially called Alone Again Or, which is a terrible, terrible name. But yeah. some of you might recognize that as uh, the name of a song by the band Love. The Shaman started out as like a standard indie psychedelic band. But as the 80s progressed, they started getting interested in synthesized drums and house music and the rave scene, which was really big in the UK. And in 1990, they released their third album called Intact. And at this point, they had become like a full-on dance, rock, house music band, complete with like a rapper DJ and a female vocalist. And they released five singles from this album. Each one was more successful than the last in the UK. And it culminated with the song Move Any Mountain, which is what we're going to listen to. And this is actually a Beatmasters remix of their first single from the album, which was called Progen. It managed to reach number four on the modern rock charts. It was also a top 40 hit in the U.S. on the Hot 100. It was a number one hit on the U.S. dance charts, and it reached number four in the U.K. Besides that, I'd say its claim to fame is that Move Any Mountain might be the most remixed song in history, and there was something like 50 different official versions released around the world. Wow. I don't know what that says. <laughs> does that mean it's an incredible song, or does it mean that it's really easy to remix? I Honestly, I don't know that much about remixing and remix culture and the rave scene, so maybe you can fill me in. You're the resident rave expert of this podcast. <laughs> I am not an expert with uh, the rave scene at all. Like your description sounds like Delight, which I really loved Delight. Yeah. Groove is in the heart. Groove is in the heart. It is. I mean, it just is. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> sure. All right. So let's go ahead and listen to the song. This is Move Any Mountain by Shaman or The Shaman. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it totally sounds like Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, Good Vibrations, uh -huh. and Technotronic, Pump Up the Jams. Also sounds kind of like Madonna's Vogue. Okay. So you're, you're saying that the 11-year-old you loves it. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, yeah. I would roller skate my heart out to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You're, you're not wrong, but maybe you're wrong. I... Here's the thing. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna straight up admit that this is outside of my wheelhouse. I guess like 
I've never been to a rave. I know very, very little about like house music and dance music. And so to me, and maybe to you, like a lot of it sounds very, very similar. Yeah. I'm sure there's some listeners who are like, you two are stupid. And this song is brilliant. And here's a million things that make it stand out. It's hard for me to hear what those things are. It, it does sound like, you know, kind of like Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, especially when we've got like, you know, the kind of semi stilted white guy rap in the middle. Yeah, totally. It wasn't boring, I don't think. Maybe lyrically it was boring. Like, I certainly wasn't interested in what they had to say because I don't think they have yeah. anything to say. But it sounds like a motivational poster. Yeah, it sounds like exercise music. Like, I would run to this. Okay. Yeah, you could do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, motivational, like you said, it's motivational music. Yeah, you got like one mile left to go, and you're like, I can move any mountain. Yes. <laughs> do it, me. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And also, me kind of referencing Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch and Pump Up the Jams. I yeah. totally loved that stuff back then. So had I listened to this in 1991, I would probably have liked it. You know? Yeah. It doesn't make me want to start a band. <laughs> no, it's not inspiring really, but it is catchy. Like yeah. I've heard it this time and I can say, oh yeah, I know their hook. Like I could sing along to it. Later. Yeah, th if this song came on anywhere, like in a store later, you'd be like, oh, yes, I know that song. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not yeah. one that you have to hear like three or four times before you remember it. Right. Here's my favorite thing about the band, though. After this, they didn't make much of a mark in the US, but they did have a very successful follow up album in the UK. It was called Boss Drum and it went platinum, largely on the strength of a controversial single. Um, this song was called Ebenezer Good. Good with an E at the end, of course. And it's controversial because he's saying like, E's good, E's good. He's maybe saying he's good, but it also sounds like he's saying E is good, like ecstasy is good. Oh, and, and so the whole song is built around that idea where he's on the surface talking about some guy named Ebenezer but really just below the surface, like barely hiding there, you know, wink, wink, he's talking about ecstasy. Oh, yeah. And so this was uh, too controversial to be celebrating drugs. And so I think it was banned from the, the radio. And um, maybe in part because of that, it became a huge hit in the UK. Stuck with the rave theme, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know, like the whole thing just seems kind of silly to me. To celebrate drugs by pretending to sing about some old geezer, like, it just is ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, one more thing this band is notable for is that they are actually internet music pioneers. They had the first ever web-based album and single in 1995. And just to give you some context, this was two years before MP3s were created. Wow. I'm trying to think, 95, did I even have the internet back then? If I did, I would have just got it very recently. So they were hosting a full album of like enormous wave files where you could download their, their song and their album. Um, That's cool. Very, very forward thinking dudes. Yeah. Let's keep going. That was The Shaman. The next band we're going to hear from is a band called The Smithereens. This is a band that was formed in 1980 in New Jersey. And they are a rock quartet. They play 60s-influenced power pop with sometimes a bit of like a 
pub rock or frat rock feel. And they were named after a Yosemite Sam catchphrase. I'm going to blow you to smithereenies. Are you a Yosemite Sam fan? <laughs> I, I have watched Yosemite Sam. I yeah. can't say I'm a fan or anything, but yeah, it seem it does seem weird <laughs> to like be that big of a fan that you take one like one of his secondary catchphrases. Like that's not even what he's most well known for. Uh, and then you're <laughs> like, I'm going to name my band after that. That seems like a good idea. Anyway, the band was fairly successful right out of the gate. Their debut album, especially for you, reached number 51 on the U.S. album charts, and eventually it went platinum. And it was also one of Kurt Cobain's favorite albums, according to his diary. So, um, I don't know, for any of you Nirvana super fans out there, if you want to track down Kurt's favorite stuff, maybe go check out the first Smithereens album. By the way, do you remember when, that, when Kurt Cobain's diary was released? Did you ever read that? Yeah, unfortunately. I, I was kind of conflicted about it, but of course, loving Nirvana and growing up on them, I wanted to read it. So. Yeah, I felt the same way. I think a lot of people did. It's like, I am invading his privacy, but also he's dead. And is this okay? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. The Smithereens' second album uh, landed them a number one mainstream rock hit. Their third album got them on the top 40 in the U.S. Hot 100. And we're going to be talking about their fourth album, which is called Blow Up. It was released in 1991. It features two singles that charted on the modern rock charts and a third that became their second U.S. Top 40 hit on the Hot 100. And I'd say one other notable thing about this album is the cover art was designed by Saul Bass, who designed the titles for Vertigo and Psycho and West Side Story. So if you look up that album, yeah, you'll go, this looks kind of familiar to me. And that's the reason why. So we're going to listen to a song called Tell Me When Did Things Go Wrong? This was their fifth and final song to chart on the modern rock charts, although they would land one more song on the mainstream rock charts for a total of 11 songs that charted over there. Tell me, when did things go so wrong? Yeah, not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Did things go wrong for you? I mean, they didn't necessarily go wrong, but they didn't go right, you know? It kind of seems like the kind of band that would start their set by going, let's get this party started. (laughs) (laughs) Like lots of moves in the crowd, which is cool. It's, It's like a bluesy rock vibe. Yeah, I think you're not wrong there. It's, it's it sounds to me like um like a slightly more muscular American power pop sort of deal, mm-hmm. and that's a sound that I I like, but I don't necessarily love. That being said, like what was that song? Less than two and a half minutes. Was it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Felt like five to you. <laughs> yeah, that, that song was two minutes, 22 seconds. And honestly, if they wouldn't have repeated the tell me when did things go wrong at the end four or five times, it would have been like a minute 59 probably. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah. 
I, it was catchy enough that I'm curious to go back and check out some of their earlier work, maybe when they were like a little less polished or produced. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want them to be a little bit more quirky. Uh-huh. Like I want, I don't know, it was, and I'm okay with short and sweet, like simple songs. But yeah, I wish it had some kind of weirdness or something in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say that this band, they must be like well-regarded or well-respected by people in the industry or in the know because they have played with some notable people. Specifically, the Smithereens were on the second episode ever of MTV Unplugged, and they played with Graham Parker. And also, whenever Ray and Dave Davies from the Kinks wanted to do like a one-off reunion show, they would pull in the Smithereens to be their backup band. And I think that happened a couple times. Yeah. So they must be really good musicians for the kinks to want to play with them, I would assume. They're doing something right. Yeah. And uh, one more thing. I wish I would have watched this. I feel so sad that I didn't. But this band also appeared in the film The Class of Newcomb High. Have you seen that one? I haven't, no. <laughs> That's one that I remember seeing in the cult section of my local video store back when I was a teen. <laughs> and I, I think the fact that they're in that movie suggests that they are quirkier than they actually sound, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe some listeners can fill me in. Like, what are we missing about the smithereens? I don't know. I like this fine. I don't know that I'm going to put it on my, my regular rotation, but it was okay. Yeah. I didn't, like, hate it. It's not something I would listen to. (laughs) You're not going to put their poster on the wall? Probably not. (laughs) All right, let's keep going. We're going to talk about a band called Curve. Curve is an English duo consisting of singer Tony Halliday and bassist, guitarist, drummer, programmer Dean Garcia. And these two were actually introduced to each other by Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics. And before Curve, this same duo formed a funk pop band called State of Play, and they released one album in 1986 and then broke up. I think that's always interesting when people have a band and then they like form a new band with the same exact people, but they just go like, no, we're going to play different music. Funk pop is not doing it for us. Yeah. In 1990, the duo formed Curve. This is... I guess you could describe as a shoegazy-ish band with programmed techno-ish beats and maybe like some sort of goth or industrial leanings. I read someone describe them as nightmare pop. I don't know if that's appropriate or not. Uh, And I love this. I watched an interview with Tony Halliday from back in the day, and the interviewer was asking her how she felt about being lumped in with what the music press was calling shoegaze or blitz rockers and i had never heard the term blitz rockers before i just think that's hilarious i guess at that time they were trying to see what names stuck and um clearly the derogatory term shoegazer is the one that that stuck around and people still use and blitz rocker seems to have uh faded into obscurity but um i might start bringing it back (laughs) would you describe mew mew as a blitz rocker band Sure, why not? All right, so Curve released three critically acclaimed EPs all in 1991. They were collected in the U.S. as a CD called Pubic Fruit. Fantastic name, guys. 
And the second of those EPs, Frozen, had a single called The Coast is Clear, and that's what we're going to listen to today. The Coast is Clear reached number 12 on the modern rock charts. And here it is. That was kind of intense. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, well, that was cool too. Uh, what do you like about it? I really like her voice mm-hmm. and just um, the music. I I like that it's not so. It doesn't feel so polished. Where a lot of like the '90s bands, especially like pop '90s bands, are right. like overly polished, overproduced, and I like um, that they didn't do that. Yeah, it it sounded to me sort of like, or it, it brought to mind anyway, um, garbage, but in like a dancier, more groove heavy sort of way. Yeah, I definitely got that vibe too. Uh, still, just in terms of like sonics and the music, it was it was definitely nice to listen to. It was like heavy and hit really hard. When would you like to listen to a song like this? If the Shaman was like a workout song. <laughs> When, when do we listen to Curve? Yeah, like I'm doing the dishes. I'm putting on a mm. record or I'm <laughs> driving around or, yeah, yeah, I feel like I could see myself listening to Curve in multiple situations. Yeah, I can see this driving around, do some highway driving. I might start pushing the uh, the gas pedal a little too hard. <laughs> yeah. I do that on occasion. I uh, realize I'm going like 85 or something <laughs> just because of the music. It also makes me curious about their funk pop duo. Like, it's hard to listen to this and imagine that they were making funk pop music just four years earlier. But, you know, the same is true with Nine Inch Nails. Like, last time we featured them on the show, we played a little clip of Trent Reznor's earlier band. I forget what they were called, Wild Birds or something like that. And um, it was just such a huge shift from, from one band to the next in just a matter of a couple of years. So that stuff's always interesting to me. Yeah, it is interesting. I wish I ventured more into different styles of music, but I feel like I've kind of stuck true to rock. Like it's uh-huh. always some type of rock music. I can't ever think of a moment in time where I'm like, yeah, let's start a funk band. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's interesting. So um, Curve, they would chart two more times on the modern rock charts in 1992 with a couple songs from their critically acclaimed album Doppelganger. And it's also possible that you listeners have heard a song or two of theirs elsewhere and didn't realize it because their songs have been featured or have appeared in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show, which, as I say that, I go, of course it would be. Like, it seems like the perfect music to play at the bronze, right? (laughs) I don't know if if you're a Buffy fan at all. Oh yeah. One of their songs was in was in the the Doom Generation. They've had music on the video game Gran Turismo Four. They were on Mind Hunters and CSI. So their music's showing up all over the place on TV and video games and movies and stuff. Cool. And here's one more fun fact. 
Tony Halliday from Curve. She actually reached number 54 on the US Hot 100 charts in 2006 because she appeared on The Killer's Christmas single, A Great Big Sled. All right, so we've got one more song. We're going to go scrape the bottom of the charts, more or less. We're going to hear a number 29 hit. This is by Alison Moyer, born Genevieve Alison Jane Moyer in England. She was involved in a number of punk bands in the late 70s and early 80s. In 1982, she teamed up with former Depeche Mode member Vince Clark. And they formed the synth-pop duo Yazoo, or Yaz, as they were called in the U.S. After two albums, Yaz broke up. Vince Clark went on to form Erasure with Andy Bell. And Alison Moyet went solo, and she released her first album called ALF, which seems like a very silly name. Like, Yeah, what inspired that? Yeah, apparently that was her nickname. People called her ALF. I didn't know ALF was short for Alison, but... I guess so. But was she capitalizing on the success of the puppet alien television hit? (laughs) We'll never know. But anyway, ALF went to number one in the UK, quadruple platinum over there. It had two songs that went top 10 in the UK, and it also featured her only top 40 hit in the US, which was the song Invisible. In 1985, Moyet appeared at Live Aid. And she actually filled in for Paul McCartney on the song Let It Be when his microphone failed. Wow. Although, if you try to watch that, you will not see it necessarily because he dubbed himself back over for future home recordings. So, <laughs> in 1991, she released her third album called Hoodoo. And this was a conscious move away from pop songwriting that her record label wanted her to do. And the resulting album received mixed reviews, but the lead single, it Won't Be Long, reach number 29 on the modern rock charts. That's what we're going to hear. And just so you know, this is not the Beatles song, It Won't Be Long. But it did draw Beatles comparisons nonetheless. So here it is. It Won't Be Long. Sit around and point up with the traffic in my head. When I wake up, I won't see you. What'd you think? It was nice. It's not necessarily something that I would gravitate towards. It's not mm-hmm. like I'd be like, oh, turn it up, man. But yeah. it's uh, her voice is nice and the, and the music's good. Yeah. I wonder how modern rock it is considering it's, I guess it a rock song. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I could hear it as a pop song just as much as a rock song maybe. Yeah. I mean, I know there's like guitars and stuff, but I don't know. I liked it. I can clearly hear the Beatles influence, especially Mm -hmm. as we get toward the end of the chorus and there's some like background like la 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 la's or whatever it is. Yeah, Um, I liked those. I liked her backups. Yeah. Well, and and that's the thing. I mean, if you like the Beatles and uh, you should, you know, it's it's hard not, 
it's hard not to at least somewhat like a song that is influenced by the Beatles, right? Yeah, most definitely. You know what I liked about the song? I like that she really sang. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of songs we hear and it's not that people can't sing, like they can carry tunes fine, but maybe they'll have like a cold or reserved delivery. Yeah. Or it's just like the type of music they're singing does not require them to be passionate. But I felt like Alison Moyet, like she was really getting into it. Like at some points, her voice was almost starting to get kind of gravelly or crack a little bit. Uh, and I, I really liked that. Yeah, I liked that too. I noticed like her her voice gets more like raspy near like the, the chorus. All right. So what's Alison Moyet up to? She's still alive. She's still working. She released a studio album in 2017. She put out a live album in 2018. So she's still doing it. That's great. Uh, you know, I think that's it. I think, I think we've heard our four songs, very different selection than last time. (laughs) And, um, I mean, this was all happening and I didn't even know it because I was like I've told you before, still listening to Beach Boys Kokomo, Mm -hmm. you know. Same here. This was uh, totally under my radar, every single one of these. And I don't know, that's part of the reason I do the show, because oftentimes when things slip by people the first time around, you, you never get to hear them the second time, I guess. Yeah. This show is really a reason to go back and either rediscover some music that you liked and maybe haven't listened to in a couple of decades or to find some stuff that you missed the first time around and and maybe uh, explore it a little deeper. So I hope some people listening heard something they liked here. It was definitely a uh, a wide range of sounds and styles on this episode. And I always like that too. Very cool. Let's say we have some listeners who are curious about you, Brooke, and want to hear more about your music. Where should they go? How can they hear this music of yours? Uh, you can find Mew Mew on any uh, music platform, really. Our band camp is mewmew.bandcamp.com. And Mew Mew is spelt M-I-E-U-X, M-I-E-U-X. Where, where'd you get your band name? Did, was that inspired by Yosemite Sam? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm learning French and my husband speaks French. And there's a saying, a key Mew Mew. And mm-hmm. I thought Mew Mew was really, it sounded cute and cool, and it it looks aesthetically pleasing. So we went with that. What does that expression mean? A Mew Mew is like better, better. Mm-hmm. Uh, a key Mew Mew would be like a one-upper or better than. Oh, okay. So it's like, it's like a brag name. You're basically. <laughs> <laughs> better, better. And we're not, I'm not bragging. I promise. I just like it. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, sweet. What about any of your older stuff? You said you, you were in bands since you were 16. Yeah. Anything worth checking out? Are there any bands that still, uh, the music still exists out there in the internet for people to hear? Yeah. Um, I was in a band called Gladness here in Portland and you could find that on Bandcamp. Most of my other bands are not even online, (laughs) but, um, Yeah, I think My Only Ghost is also on Bandcamp. Cool. So if anyone's interested, you should go check that out. Bandcamp seems to be like the place to be. Anything else you want to plug? Anything you want to talk about? 
Uh, no, I really enjoyed being on this show. I I woke up and I did not have the best day. And it was really awesome to just come here and talk about something that I really enjoy and have a good time. So thank you. Yeah, and well, thank you. I'm I'm so glad you could join me. You know, I could say a similar thing. It was not it was not <laughs> a great day, but it was very nice to listen to some music and hear some cool things that I was not super familiar with. And yeah. uh, you know, I might go and and check out a few of those bands uh, later this weekend. Listen to a little more Curve. Yeah. Dig up that first Smithereens album. Yeah. Thank you for that because I probably would not have done that otherwise. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, if anyone wants to get in contact with me, you can write me an email at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again, Brooke, for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Catch you next time. Bye.